0: So glad you guys are here with us today, Braving the Elements. There's only so much you can do, right? When uh, it snows all the time, you got to get out of the house if we will not surrender to cabin fever, right? So that's good. I'm glad you guys are here. We can gather as God's people on the Lord's Day. Before we dive into God's Word this morning, I wanted to just give a bit of an update on some cool trips that are one that has happened and one is currently happening. So my wife and I and my daughter Autumn and Caleb Tucci um, just got back from uh, being in North Africa. We got back about eight days ago. And the agenda of the trip was simply to go and to encourage the two families that are living there for the sake of church planting in a city of 400,000 people that um, has no churches. And there's two, maybe three now known Indigenous believers. And so we just got to do life with them for a few days, and it's just pretty normal in terms of families that uh, are raising kids and have jobs and trying to make disciples and plant churches, but just in a context where language is second or third language and uh, the culture is very, very different. And so you can just imagine, like, you know, young families in the room, just the normal stress of being a young family. Uh, here, and then on top of that, the language can be fuzzy at times, and the culture is really fuzzy at times. It creates some stress, and there's no church like this where you can come and have coffee and fellowship and sing together, and you know, put your kids in childcare, and it's kind of taken care of. You know what I mean? That doesn't exist, um, and so they need encouragement. There's a deep sense of isolation. So we go over there and we just talk about how's your marriage. How's your parenting? How are the team dynamics? And um, and I think we uh, we succeeded at that, so it was really good. One one big thing that I want us to be praying about, and we'll be praying about this this week in our city groups as we hear a testimony from on video in our city groups their prayer time this week. Um, is you know we've told you that they have been gathering now as an actual church that in our mind would look more like a city group, but it's church with some local believers. Uh, they've been doing that for a few months now. And they just know, and they're, they're sobered about this. It's not like any panicky thing. Um, but they're just sobered to the fact that when you start doing that, gathering with local people um, for a gathering to worship Jesus uh, in a country where it's illegal for someone who's of that nationality to become a Christian, um, they don't care if... Americans are Christians. They expect that. But it's, it's when the locals become Christians when things are not um, viewed upon favorably. So they know now they've been gathering that the risk just increases. And it's typically not like torture and imprisonment. It's typically just you get kicked out of the country. And um, that can easily happen. And so um, let's just be praying for that. I, I hadn't heard them talk very... Um, plainly about that being a reality you know that's happened I guess in the last 18 months in different cities in in Morocco um that's happened in other cities in the last 18 months where just families are you just got two weeks and you got to leave get out and so that could easily happen um so let's just be praying for them and for the church to rise up in that city where there is hardly any witness in addition, right now we have uh, nine people in Ecuador, and we got word yesterday that they uh, landed safe, and they're coming alongside Claudio and a ministry that he is doing to plant churches in Ecuador um, under the leadership of Steve and Sandy that we've been partnering with, and so they are doing well, and they're serving, and uh, so let's just be praying for them and thankful for that happening, and expect a great report when they come home. So let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll dive in. Father, would you help us? Father, we want to pray for neighbors and nations. We want to pray for church planning efforts. We think of that happening with Eastside Church here. Lord, pray you would bless that effort. Pray you would bless uh, what's happening in uh, Morocco and Ecuador. And that uh, we would just continue to be faithful and not give up seeing your name be cherished through the power of the local church to make disciples and continue to plant churches so that your kingdom can expand in this on this earth. Um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. We pray that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Matthew chapter 5. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking simply at verse 5, and we're going to be going a little bit more at a snail's pace in the next few weeks because we want to really feel like it's valuable to really slow down and focus on these things called beatitudes, blessings that come from the mouth of Jesus. So Michael did a great job uh, two weeks ago talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 3, Ben did a great job last week. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. And today we're looking at verse 5, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. So here's a question for us. Who has the power? Who has the power? Power is something that can be a bit intoxicating. It can be a bit of a lightning rod. Who has the power? Who has the authority? The issue of who has the power and how is that power going to be used That issue's been around and on people's minds since the dawn of time, right? If you have authority over people's lives, whether it's policing, parenting, politics, that power can be used for great harm or for great good, right? And world history and our day and age as well can tell us millions of stories of both sides of that equation, right? Power used in beautiful ways and power used in very destructive ways. You can assert your will over others in ways that bring beauty and love and in ways that bring death, damage, destruction. And and it seems like everywhere we turn, if you're looking for it, you see people clamoring for power. And sadly, that includes the church. If you know anything about church history, there's about a thousand years, roughly, um, where there was a mingling of politics and church in a way that didn't go very well in the course of church history. They didn't produce a lot of blessings. It's one of the reasons why you sit here today in a Protestant church, because of the corruption that came historically from power dynamics with government and church getting all mixed up together. In the last few hundred years, maybe say post-enlightenment, there's been a consistent critique of the church in relation to power. And it goes something like this. Churches aren't really all about the truth. What they're really all about is control and power, right? Because what really is more powerful than ultimate claims about reality? If I stand up here and I tell you things about the way things really are, capital T truth, in reference to concepts as, with as much gravitas and weight as heaven, hell, blessing, cursing, your meaning in life, the universe and how it came about. If I, if I stand up here and make claims like that and you believe me, there's power there, right? And so secular philosophers have come in, in the last few hundred years and said, the church doesn't care about the truth. They just care about power. We just want to like manipulate people so we can get things done. Maybe I've got political agenda. Maybe I've got a desire to fill my pockets. It's all about control, is what they would say. It's not about the truth. Well, sadly, the church hasn't done a really good job, even in recent days, with countering that claim. And it really grieves me that In my 20 years of pursuing ministry and being influenced by high-profile people as I seek to um, learn what it means to be a good pastor, I can think of six men in the last five years, men with huge advances from publishing companies to write books, men that have Massive influence, huge churches, like 200 times what's sitting here right now. Amazingly billion dollar budgets, buildings that are just like airports for real. And in the last five years, six pastors, four of whom have all gone down, mainly because, this is an simpl- oversimplification, but mainly because of abuse of power. Two other ones are, are sexual. That's a whole other topic that infects poor leadership. But four, so, so two, uh, two-thirds, four out of six, gone down in flames. Massive ministries gone because of abuses of power. So sadly, that secular critique of religion being all about using power to control people seems to be well-founded in our day and age, at least in certain circles. Unrestrained, unchecked force of self-will that harms other people. Just running over people to get done what they think is best and doing it now. It has to be now. No waiting, no patience, no trusting in something outside ourselves. This is the story of many church leaders. I relate to that. I can be tempted towards that. I get that. It's not just church leaders like me though. Abuse of power can be found in all of us because here's the deal. Almost everybody in this room, I would, I would venture a guess, has some form of authority. It's as simple as thinking about parenting. So many uh, families in the room And if you're a parent, that's an amazingly powerful source of authority and power for good, power for harm. But maybe you're not a parent. Maybe it's just as simple as like you have a pet, right? And if you have a pet, you have authority over that animal, right? All of us in some sense are in positions of authority. And there's always a potential for abuse in that case. So in response to these problems in the world and the church, when it comes to power, the answer is not to reject the church or try to escape the world, but rather go deeper into the word of God, see what it has to say about power and our forceful wills. Jesus says this morning in Matthew 5:5, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a way of blessing that you can pursue that's not the world's way. So we've been in this series in the Beatitudes, and Jesus comes right out of the gate in this sermon where he's teaching his disciples. He comes right out of the gate and he says, you guys want to be blessed? Do you guys really want to define blessing as I define it? Well, here's how you can do it. And today, Matthew 5, 5 gets to the heart of this issue of power and force of will. Listen to what Jesus says. He says this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. What I want to do this morning is just simply camp out on this verse and break down these words, seek to understand it, and then we'll be done. So what's the first word we find? The first word we find is blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? One of the commentaries I was reading this this week defined it like this, and I felt like this was really helpful. To be blessed is to be in a state of well-being in relation to God. To be blessed is to be in a state of well-being in relation to God. Another way to think about it might be those who are blessed have the favor of God upon them. So when you say you're blessing someone, it means to show them favor. Like if, if some young man comes to me in a few years and wants to marry my daughter, and I say, you know what, I bless this. I want to put my blessing on you guys. What that means is I'm, I, want to, I, want to, I want you to feel favored by me. I want you to feel the favor, my pleasure on this relationship, right? There's a state of well-being in our relationship in reference to you pursuing my daughter in marriage. That, that's a blessing, right? So let's replace these definitions with, with what it says in verse 5. So, The favor of God is upon the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Said differently, the the meek are in a state of well-being in relation to God. The meek are in a state of well-being in relation to God. Blessed, that's what it means to be blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, so second question, meekness. What does it mean to be meek? That's not a word we use a lot in our common everyday language, right? What does it mean to be meek? Well, here, I love doing this. This really helps me, and maybe it'll help you in your Bible reading. Oftentimes, I try to think of what is the opposite, and the opposite can highlight the truth. So the opposite of meekness would be this, the impatient and forceful pursuit of exerting your will upon others for the sake of selfishness. Let me say that again. The opposite of meekness would be the impatient and forceful pursuit of exerting your will upon others for the sake of selfishness. Now, here's the objection. Does that mean wallflower? Does that mean doormat? Does that mean pushover? Because a lot of times we're like, well, this sounds kind of scary. This meekness thing doesn't sound very good. Does that mean I have to be a wallflower pushover? Everybody just gets to abuse me and I don't get to say anything? Is that what Jesus is all about? I don't think so. But here's the deal. It might appear that way on the outside. From a superficial glance, it might look that way. I mean, think about Jesus. Whether you're aware of this in the Bible or not, that's okay. Some of you will remember that Jesus was brought before authorities before he was crucified. And they questioned him. And they said, don't don't you know what they're saying about you? Aren't you going to defend yourself? Mouth closed. Who are you? You need to tell us. Mouth closed. Don't you know that we have the power to kill you? Mouth closed. A superficial understanding of Jesus might think, he's just a wallflower, just a just a pushover. I mean, don't you want to defend yourself, Jesus? What the heck? Take a step further. Just look at him on the cross. Historically, the cross is the ultimate sign of weakness. You're fastened to a, a board and you can't move, and it's shameful because you're, you're hung there naked. It's the ultimate form of weakness. And so passersby on that day, they mocked him for his weakness. He tried to save others. He can't even save himself. Look at how weak he is. It's a superficial understanding, right? If you know what the Bible's all about, if you know what the gospel's all about. But see, since we know Jesus through the word, and the Bible says that Jesus was meek, we know that meekness has got to be more profound than visions of, of being a doormat or a pushover. Meekness might look like weakness, but it's not. So let's take this into our neighborhood. Let's take this into our experience. Your boss at work speaks really disrespectfully to you. And instead of retaliating or being like super passive aggressive, you continue to respond with respect and kindness. If you do that, does that, is that weakness? Is that weakness if you behave that way? Your kids don't don't love you in the way that you feel like they should love you. But you continue to love them faithfully and patiently. Is that a display of weakness? Your neighbor, check this out, your neighbor has a dead tree in their yard and it's leaning over your house. And you say to them, hey, I think you should address this tree because it's gonna fall in my house and harm someone or just destroy my house. And then one day there's a storm and it does happen. What's your response? Do you lash out in anger or immediately take them to court and sue them? If you refrain from lashing out or suing them out of a love for God and your witness, is that weakness? If the government doesn't give you what you think you deserve in terms of services or a tax return or something like that, and you're tempted to go on social media and just rage and let everyone know how much of an injustice this is, but you don't out of love for God and a trust in a higher power than the power of the government, and you refrain, is that weakness? See, here's the point. Learning from Jesus to conduct yourself in a way that shows you trust in God and his provision for you, see, that requires great strength, does it not? See, the world interprets meekness as weakness, but they they don't know Jesus. They haven't seen Jesus, who's our example. Or or thought deeply enough about the strength it takes to trust God. See, See, we're free to be meek, because we know that God will provide, we trust him. See, I don't have to be overly aggressive to get my way because God knows what I need and he's gonna provide. See how that empowers meekness? Like I don't have to demand my rights because I know that one day God will make all things right, right? You feel that? See, that, that empowers meekness. The power of God empowers meekness. We're going to continue to unpack that sentence. It's so true biblically. The power of God, not my power, the power of God that I'm trusting in is going to empower my weakness, or my meekness. See, all of this is, is so relatable for us, right? When there's something that we want, this is where, this is kind of ground zero for, for Matthew 5, 5 in our lives. There's something I want. Desires everywhere, right? We all, it's just so, it's so common, it's unconscious. We have desires everywhere. I want kids that listen and obey me. I want that promotion at work. I want, man, those, these friends, I just really want them to like me and, and think that I'm awesome. I want that, that, that boss to respect me. See, in all of these scenarios, we're tempted to forget about God and think that we're alone in the universe and it's all up to us. And so, what, what does that do? It, it informs a pace, it informs a gripping, it informs a control, it, can, it informs a tone of voice where I'm tempted to assert my power to make it happen right now. It's got to happen right now. It's all up to me and I'm going to do it. I'm alone in the universe. It's just me. Faster now, more effort. And hear me, there's a time to get after stuff. There's a time to exert effort, right? But here's the deal. So often in these scenarios, I forget that God has promised to provide all I need. Right? His will is working on my behalf. So here's the deal. I can calm down. That's that's kind of getting to the heart of it. I can calm down and put the ferocious assertion of self aside and trust him. Now, why would I say I'm free to do that? Because the Bible is full of promises that empower that. Let me just give you one. This is one of the most precious promises in all the Bible. Romans eight thirty two, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Okay, so what does that say? What that says is God provides. God, You see it? He didn't spare us. He didn't hold back. He didn't like just selfishly keep love and salvation to himself. No, no, no. He, he didn't spare him. He gave. Our God is a, a God of generosity. He did not spare his own son, meaning God provides for sinful people who bear, who, who, who might be called to bear the wrath of God all on their own for their sin. And, and, and God said, no, there's a better way. I'm going to provide a way of salvation. I'm going to lay down my life for them and bear my wrath in myself, in their place. I will provide for this ultimate problem that they all have. So you see that? That first, that first sentence before the comma, it should just jump off the page and say, my God provides. Period. So if that's true, and it is, see it? Comma. Great rhetorical question that you should ask yourself every single day. Everybody should walk out of this room memorizing this verse, I'm telling you. This will empower you. Great rhetorical question. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Answer, he will, right? If he did it 2,000 years ago on the cross and the empty tomb, Is he oblivious to like what I'm dealing with today? No, he's not. Even though it might feel like it, he's not. You with me? So what does this verse say about Matthew 5, 5 and and the the pursuit of meekness? This verse says you can calm down. It's not all up to you. You're not alone in the universe. You don't have to manage everything all on your own, right? Right? The calming down, that that just helps me. For so much of my, I'm racing internally so much. Meekness looks like a calming down that trusts God more than it trusts self-effort. You feel that? That doesn't mean there's not going to be effort. There'll be some effort. But what's the tone? What's the pace? What's the internal RPMs? What are they like? Meekness looks like a calming down that trusts God more than it trusts self-effort. And in trying to get those things I want through asserting my forceful will that sometimes just runs over people. I'm thinking about myself more than I'm thinking about others. I'm thinking about myself more than I'm thinking about the promises of God. So let's just just practice this with an illustration. So you want that promotion at work. And depending on your heart posture, that may be a really, really good thing. Or it might be a really bad thing depending on your motives, and that's for you to decide, and we can't um, decide that from here. So let's just assume that you want that promotion at work, and, and the motives are whatever they are. There's a way to pursue that promotion in a way of the world that's dominating and aggressive and demanding that doesn't look like meekness, and there's a way to do it that looks like meekness. So the, the, the first way would be that I want that promotion at work, and I'm going to be super manipulating And I'm willing to run over others or try to, like, assert myself in a meeting and um, not let others speak before me. And I'm going to be really quick to speak and not quick to listen, you know. I'm going to do the opposite of of James 119. And um, I'm going to try to, like, do some politicking, you know, because i got to get this now. i got to get this now, right? That's the opposite of meekness. Meekness might look like, well, I still want that promotion at work. But it's just gonna—it's gonna affect the tone. It's gonna affect the pace. It's gonna affect maybe the obsession with which I obsess about how bad I want that. It's gonna—it's gonna affect um, how much I think about finances. And if I got that—if I got that promotion, then I could have all this other stuff. As opposed to no, I know God's gonna provide. And so yeah, it'd be nice to have that other stuff so I could provide for my family better or be more generous at, at church or whatever. But. You feel the difference? The, the, the meekness route is probably gonna be a lot more prayerful because I trust you, God. And that, that, that prayerfulness is gonna look like a calming down because it's not all up to me, right? It's more calm, mild, humble, patience. It's not overly intense, okay? See, where does this power to pursue the promotion with meekness come from? It just comes from Romans 8.32. It's not all up to me. God provides. I'm free to calm down. God's promises are true. I don't have to be all wound up and controlling. God's going to provide. We trust him more than our abilities to control the situation. You feel that? So so here's, here's the deal. Meekness is not weakness. To have this kind of faith takes great strength. And that's empowered by the Holy Spirit alive in you. So if you're feeling like you're lacking in that this morning, of the power to pursue meekness, just ask. Say, Lord, would you give me more of your Holy Spirit? And he promises, Luke eleven, eleven 11-13, that as a good father loves to give good gifts to his kids, man, our Heavenly Father loves to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So, man, if you feel weak in this area, just cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, would you give me more trust in your promises so that I can pursue meekness? Let me give you one more nuance that I think is important to embrace. Just as an aside, a lot of us have a disposition in terms of our personality that looks like meekness, but it might not be. Like a lot of us just based on our personality aren't super aggressive. We tend toward being quiet, right? But see, Jesus isn't talking here about a personality that naturally just defers to people and and is quiet. Jesus is talking about a convictional meekness. See what I'm saying? Like pursuing it out of love and obedience to Jesus. It's not just like my default setting as, as, as my personality. No, no, I'm purposefully pursuing meekness. The point is this, pursuing the beauty of meekness out of faith, that when we carry ourselves in this way, it shows that we trust God's control and his reward and we don't have to control everything on our own. See, you can have a, a meekness on the outside but still be raging on the inside, right? So the externals don't always tell the whole story. Jesus is talking about a convictional, purposeful meekness verse 5 blessed are the meek so we've talked about blessing we've talked about meekness and now we need to unpack this last phrase and then we'll be done for they shall inherit the earth blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth what does it mean to inherit the earth Why, why would Jesus lay this out there like that Well, for us to understand the inheritance of the earth, I think it's really important to go back and think about the very beginning of the Bible. And God creates the earth. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And he just spoke and it was. And then he made human beings. And he said, Adam and Eve, check it out. This is the the, the Zach Nielsen translation. Check it out, Adam and Eve. All of this is yours. You can have it. It's a gift. This good creation is a gift. And here's what I want you to do I want you to take the raw material of this creation and I want you to expand my glory over every inch of this globe by using these these things and make me look good. Make me look glorious. Take the raw material of the creation and go for it. You can have it all except for this one thing don't eat from this tree, okay? Trust my word problem was Adam and Eve did not pursue meekness. What did they pursue? They pursued their own assertive self will. Satan comes along and tempts them and they start to believe it. Like, Man, God's not going to provide. we got to provide for ourselves. There's all this good stuff in the whole world except for this one tree and, and man, we want that too. And God's really, you know what, he's holding out on us. He's threatened by us. And I think we need to exert our self-will and just take, even though he said not to. What does he know? We know better. They didn't wait. They wanted to be in control. They disregarded God's promise in favor of lies from the enemy to control the situation with their own assertive self-will. They asserted themselves over God and his promises. You see that? And as a result, what happened? They lost their inheritance. It was shattered and broken and cursed, kicked out of this good place that God has given them. Their inheritance was shattered. And then just think of the descendants Think of world history in whatever high school class you took. You've heard some names. You've heard of Alexander the Great. You've heard of Attila the Hun. You've heard of Napoleon. You've heard of the Roman Empire. I mean, if you think about world history, what is it a story of? In some sense, it's a story of people dominating each other, conquering each other. Imperialism. It's the story of our country, right? We just came and we took. It's the assertion of self-will. The commonality with all those names you've heard of is they strove to conquer and inherit the world. Inherit the world. Through sheer force of will through sheer force of power. They had to get theirs now. See, they didn't trust the heavenly father to provide. Heavenly father, what's that? Right? The strong survive, so we better get to work. That's the mindset. And here's the deal. If you embrace an evolutionary mindset, natural selection that says this, meekness doesn't inherit the earth. Meekness means you get eaten. Meekness means you get trampled on. Meekness means you're dead. Like an evolutionary mindset says, get yours now. There's nobody else out there other than you to help you survive. So you better be strong or you're dead. Right? So if you want to conquer some people, conquer them. Because it's theirs for the taking and there's no heavenly father to provide for you. So take what's yours. Take it. If you can, get it. That's the, the secular worldview. That's where it leads. If we're just a cosmic accident with no transcendent purpose or meaning, then meekness is foolishness. You see that? But see, Jesus goes to war with that mindset, with evolutionary thinking, natural selection that says you have to get yours now, don't wait. Jesus says you can wait. You see that? You see the waiting in this verse? You can wait, and look to me. I'm the example of waiting. That's what Jesus says to us this morning. You can trust me. I get it. I get what waiting is like. Waiting on a cross—that's hard. I get it. L- let's watch Jesus in in the Word this morning. This is—I think this is a. There's a lot that the Bible says about meekness that we did not get to this morning. But I have to show you this text because it's so powerful, and it's found in First Peter. Is the ultimate example of Jesus embodying meekness. It's first Peter chapter two, starting in verse 21. It'll be on the screen. Peter's writing to persecuted church. They're suffering. When it comes to natural selection, they're the prey and not the predator. And he writes to this church and says this, for to this you have been called. So here's your calling, church. Why? Well, because Christ also suffered for you. So he knows what it's like. He's accomplished something in his suffering for you, leaving you an example. So Christ is our example of meekness. Check it out. So that we can follow in his steps. There's power in looking to Jesus and remembering he goes before us. Verse 22, he committed no sin, sinless. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He never lied. Verse 23, when he was reviled, Jesus, you're a loser. Jesus, you're powerless. Can't you come down from the cross, Jesus? What the heck? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He didn't lash out. He had every right to. He didn't. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Man, who's got more artillery to threaten than Jesus? Right? But what did he do? But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You feel the future orientation of this text? He continued entrusting himself. So in those moments, when when the temptation is to lash out, when the temptation is revenge, when the temptation is, I'm going to call down fire from heaven to consume my enemies, he didn't. He entrusted himself. He placed himself in the hands of another. He didn't think it was all up to him, right? He had a vision of a heavenly father that he was trusting. Who's looking outside of himself. You feel this? Who, who, that, that person he's trusting, what do they do? They judge justly. What does that mean? Translation, it'll all be made right someday. But it's a someday. It's a future orientation. It's a waiting on the Lord. It's not immediate. It's patient. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is meekness personified. This is the meekness of Jesus that should empower our everyday living. Jesus says this morning, your meekness shows that you're with me and doing things my way because you trust me. And those who trust in me will never fail to what? Matthew 5, 5, receive their inheritance. Jesus says, the children of God, Demonstrate that you're a child of God by your meekness, by the fact that you trust me and that you're with me and you believe me. And when that meekness is produced, it's this massive form of confirmation that yes, I am with Jesus. And if I'm with Jesus, what does that produce? Well, Matthew 5:5 5, 5 says that one day I'm gonna have it all. You feel that? Have it all. That you're gonna inherit the earth. He will return and make all things right and those that have trusted in him for the salvation of of, of their souls because of the cross, resurrection, and return of Jesus, they have it all. So you don't have to worry about getting yours right now. You're going to have all that you need. It's just a matter of time. And that's a faith battle. You feel that? It's just a matter of time. So you don't have to be all wound up and controlling. Because God's in control and he's gonna give you what you need. And all of that is confirmed by the promises of God. See the cross, see the empty tomb. In the end, it is the meek, not the self-assertive, who will reign with Christ for eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. There's so often throughout our day, we forget these promises and we just want to assert ourselves. Take matters into your own hands, right? Self will, impatient, but God will not fail. We can trust Him. We can trust Him. Now, let me just close with this. I join many of us in the room right now where you feel like a failure in this area, right? There's room for repentance for all of us, right? We yell at our kids when it's not called for. Out of a desire just to control it, hurry up and control. We, we overcompensate in relationships. Maybe it's like getting kind of smothering or, you know, passive aggressive because we're not getting what we want right now in relationships. Maybe we're fa- we fail to be generous with our money because, man, I don't know if God's going to provide. I got to pride myself, so I'm gonna hoard it all up. Try to control success as we define success, and that leads to this pace that's killing us, no rest. See, keep in mind, again, don't misunderstand meekness does not mean that we don't pursue things, but it does define the how of our pursuit. How do we go about it? What's the tone? What's the pace? What's the pressure? What are the emotions? So if you feel like a failure in terms of the how of our pursuit of things, it's been the opposite of meekness, take heart. Jesus died for your failures. And so we return to the meek one this morning. He doesn't come to slap you around. He comes and he welcomes you and says, return to me. I am meek, I am gentle and lowly of heart, he says. And I will take your burdens, I joyfully take your burdens upon myself. And you can trust that I can carry them because the tomb is empty, tomb is empty. So entrust yourself to me, I will judge justly. It's all gonna work out. You don't have to fight for your rights because I make all things right. And you have rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? May the truth of your word um, be made manifest in our lives. And we ask for this by the power of your word and your spirit today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.